Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share. Lucy Marie Higgs is Head of Capital One UK, a bank that employs 1,400 staff and last year generated more than half a billion pounds in revenues. She's an engineer by trade, but started with Capital One not long after university as a data analyst. Lucy was appointed to the company's board before she was 40. She was made chief exec in June 2020. Lucy Marie Higgs, welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. Thanks for having me. So you, I think, were part of the graduate intake of 2001, and I read a fantastic interview with you in which you said you arrived as a scrappy, competitive, very northern individual with a chip on your shoulder. How on <laughs> earth did you end up in charge? <laughs> Many chips on my shoulder, actually, Absolutely. I would say. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's been a long way from there to here, I think. Um, and it's something that's very true of Capital One, which is that... Um, we're great at taking raw material and seeing the potential uh, and seeing what people are capable of. And I think that my experience here has been, well, I was an engineer by training, but that Capital One wanted to see what I was capable of and to put me in a variety of different jobs. And so my first job when I arrived was as a project manager. I was really bad at that, Um, mainly because I was... uh, far too argumentative you know when you've got a project manager you want them to get on and deliver the project whereas I spent my whole time saying well is this even the right project to be doing and instead of kicking me out what they did instead was to say what we think we've got here is an analyst and put me into more analytical roles and then in a variety of different teams and to really invest in my personal development and over time to give me more and more responsibility and then ultimately uh, let me do this job. So yeah, it's been it's been a long way from there to here, but so much investment in me as a person on the way. Okay, and I, and I was going to ask, twenty years with the same co- company. That's been, you know quite a, quite a length of time. Presumably, um, that's why you're still here after the twenty years. What's maintained your interest is that that constant change. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I'm not unusual here. Actually, there's a lot of us that that joined early on, probably with not that much of intention, intention of staying this long. Um, but there's something really special about this company. There's some um, strange alchemy about the way that it works and it brings together a group of really smart, really decent people who love to be together and love to, do, to solve difficult problems together. Because when you joined the company, it had only been going for, for 10 years or so. So did your career develop in parallel with the company? Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. I mean, when I joined, so uh, early 2000s, it'd been around in the UK for about three years or something like that. Um, many of us at that time were in our early 20s. We uh, we came to Nottingham together. We grew up together, really. Met our, you know, I met my husband here. Uh, you know, and and, that, and that's true of a lot of us. And so we, we've grown up with the company. The company itself has grown enormously in that time and had to mature in the same way as we've all had to mature. Um, and so the story of Capital One is the story of so many of us, really. And that's interesting because, in the again, another thing I've read that you've said in the past is that when you joined Capital One, you were slightly sceptical that such a big company, even as was then, could have the culture and values that you were looking for. Um, well, what, what was that? Yeah, I suppose, I mean, when I joined, I was, what, 22, something like that. 
and I think um, scepticism is pretty common actually uh, for new for new graduates. I think that's that's probably true. And you see these values, and they are up on the wall, and you assume that they're just there as wallpaper. You can't really believe. You know, when, when people say to you, "What we're all about is uh, elevating each other." or assuming positive intent, those types of things. You think, really, is that really the case? But what I've found, what I've learned over the years is that 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 idea that we're not in competition with each other, the idea that we're here to make each other better every single day, is absolutely true for this organisation. That has been proven These are are great ideals, aren't they? I mean, (laughs) being in charge of a company which which goes out and, and, and says, look, you know, um, it, we're trading on our reputation. Um, we're trying to make to change banking for the better. Yep. I mean, that must bring particular leadership challenges. I suppose so. I mean, in a way, if I th- if I think about it, what are we asking of ourselves? We're asking ourselves to be the best we can possibly be. And I firmly believe that um, finances are one of the key aspects of life that can help people to thrive, right? Like health or like education. I'm one of six children, right? I've got brothers and sisters who are involved in, you know, I've got a sister who's a doctor. I've got a brother who's a headmaster. You know, I've had plenty of occasion to have to sit and ask myself the question of, well, you've chosen to be involved in finance. Why is that an, why is that a great way to spend your life? And I genuinely believe that if we can... Um, make financial products that are inclusive, that are transparent, that are easy to understand, that we are doing real social good and that there is a real sense of purpose. And for that reason, we need to attract the very best brains to solve that very uh, important challenge. Okay, but this this moment in time, yeah. the, 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 the cost of living crisis, presumably you're a lot of your customers are finding it very difficult at the moment. You know, again, I ask, what particular leadership challenges does that bring for you? Well, so you've mentioned already, Capital One genuinely is setting out to, um, to do the best for people through financial services. We have this whole concept of how do you help people to use credit wisely, right? How do you make sure that people don't borrow more than they should? How do you make sure that they pay on time, that they pay down, right? What would you say to your parents, to your siblings, to your kids about how to use credit wisely? That's what we're all about. So in times like this, when people are facing unprecedented challenges when it comes to cost of living and we're seeing inflation is what it is for the first time in in however many years, that, that ethos that we've got is more important than ever. The idea that people need to make good choices about their finances, people need to really understand, people need to be able to get help if they need that help, if they really are struggling, and that that help should be available to them and that a financial services organisation should be responsive to the situation in which customers find themselves. For me, that's, that's, that's always been the case here. You know, The call to action might be greater than ever given the uh, cost of living pressures that people are feeling, but it's very much business as usual for Capital One to think in that way. This might be an unfair question, but which, if there's, a, there's obviously a balance here between the, obviously the necessity, you're a bank, you've got to make money, and, your, and the societal responsibilities which you've just outlined there. Well, well, you know, how is that balance in your own head? Well, for me, it's not a trade-off. 
there is no trade-off there. Our customers succeed, or rather, we succeed when our customers succeed. It's absolutely in our interest that customers, as I say, don't borrow more than they should, that they manage that um, borrowing really well, and that essentially uh, that we support them to do that. And so our incentives are really aligned with theirs. It's not a trade-off. We all lived through the tough times together, just like we all lived through a pandemic together, where we were able to support our customers through some of the toughest times they'll ever have experienced. You know, it looks as though those tough times aren't over for any of us. You know, the world will continue to change around us and we'll continue to have to adapt. And what remains really important is that we are completely aligned with what our customers need and we're completely supportive of what our customers need because that's the only way we can succeed as a business. Sure, sure. You know, and so the types of things you do, you make sure that people have got all the information that they need in order to make their repayments on time. You make sure that you've got solutions for them when they're struggling. You make sure that your team who are there answering the phones are listening out for the changes in sure. people's situations and, and helping where they can. But as I say... If our customers succeed, so do we. Okay. And you touched at the beginning of that answer um, on your own background. Um, you know, if we go back to the beginning, you grew up in Oldham. Mm -hmm. You went to school in Manchester. Yeah. You ended up at university in Cambridge. Yeah. But you were the first generation of your family to go to, to university. Yeah. What was the What was the background to that? My parents both left school at 15. For them, um, university was not an option. My... Dad started out as a tea boy. Uh, my mum was a uh, an assistant in a pharmacy, um, and in those days, and, and and it's a big Catholic family, right? And so in those days, uh, you know, when they got married, and in their very early twenties, um, my mum was all about having a big family, and she was not, you know, and, and you didn't continue working there. So I grew up in a house where my mum was at home a lot. Um, I was one of six children, um, and. And budgeting was a big part of, of our lives, you know. And when I think about it, you know, part of the reasons that I uh, felt confident with maths was that we would go around the supermarket with my mum and she'd got £45 to feed the whole family. And she would, uh, we would have to add it up. And anything that was sweet was left at the end and that was put onto the, uh, onto the conveyor last. And if there was no money left, we didn't have it. You know, and I grew up in that environment and I grew up with this real sense that, oh my gosh, you want to make... You know, first of all, it was, it, it was a, a hugely privileged environment, right? A lot of love, a lot of care, lots of access to education, you know, but, but that sense of, gosh, when you get an opportunity, you make the most of that opportunity. And so for me, education was everything, you know, and, and getting to university and, and then getting a job after university and all the opportunities that I've had. I now look at my own children and I'm so desperate for them to make the most of the opportunities that they've got. It's, um, it just makes you grateful for it, right? Because I know my parents didn't have the same. I, I, I read somewhere, again, I'm sorry, but hey, it's a lovely story, but you win in a top engineering award and somebody said to you, the judge said, or the judge, the person who gave you the award said you can go to London and you can have any restaurant That's right. in London, we can yeah. dine at any restaurant. Where did you choose? Pizza Hut, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, no, I mean, the thing is, I'd never been to London until I was 19. Um, and this was probably the first time I'd been. Um, and yes, and it was, a, it was a privilege to be there. But I like, I'm sure you know yourself, I didn't grow up uh, eating out and I didn't know anything about restaurants. And actually, I was so 
terrified of being presented with some food that I wouldn't know what to do with, that all you ever wanted was something that felt um, felt as though you'd know what you were doing. You know, when pizza's a pretty safe bet, right? It, whereas you go to a posh restaurant, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I'll be able to eat it. And it's a huge... Uh, the thing that I always say about this is, and this is the bit about being the first in your family to do things, is there's um, it's tiring for people when they are the first one to experience it and there's no one to advise them. You know, you're there and you or every day you're trying to... But it's an to ongoing process, stuff. isn't it? Because yes. as you're the first person to do one thing, then there's another thing, then there's another thing, then there's another exactly. thing. And every day is a challenge, right? And it, and it, and that's, that's quite tiring. So when you get the opportunity to do something that's a treat... It's like, I want it to be a treat. I don't want it to be another challenge. Right, you know, right, I think that right. was really what was going on there. And I think that's, that, that is um, something we have to think about as we try to be more inclusive. And as we try to bring people from different backgrounds through to be successful in financial services, it's just understanding that slight fatigue that comes with. So has, has all this unit. fed into your, into your leadership, into your current role, into your business Absolutely. I think, I mean, all of, the, all of the experiences we have growing up, all of the things that we go through are totally feed into um, the way we are then as leaders in, in the future. It gives you an understanding of people and it gives you an understanding of why somebody might not grab an opportunity when everything says that they should. So in a perverse way, does that give you um, a leadership advantage over, over others? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it does. And which is why I'm always very careful when we talk about um, when we talk about bias or when we talk about underrepresented groups. The thing that I always try to say, and when I talk to, to, to young people coming through now, is that you know where bias exists, it's another way to frame that or another way to think about that is it's somebody underestimating you, which means that they hand you an advantage before you've even started. You know, and if you are lucky enough to have the background I've had, which is, you know, yeah, being that first generation to go to university or growing up in, in the north or whatever it is, I feel abs like that's an absolute privilege because it gives me all this awareness and understanding that other people might not have. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of things I don't understand well and haven't had the exposure to, and I feel like I'm constantly running to catch up on those. So you're still, you're still facing those challenges? Always. There are always going to be things that, I, uh, that other people understand better than I do and that I need to get my head around. But I think, um, but that's not to say that the things that I have been through aren't also advantages for me. Do you think that whatever you'd done in the end, you would have ended up in charge? My mum would tell you, yes, absolutely. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, can you prepare for a can you prepare for a career in leadership? Well, it's a choice, right? Leadership is a choice. I think the seniority, and that's not the same as leadership. For me, um, leadership is about you know when it when I don't know ten people sit around a table and look at each other and say, what shall we do? Are you the person who naturally? is on the edge of your seat with an answer, right? Are you there going, I think I see a way? And if you are, then you're a leader. And one of the, uh, one of the things we have as an imperative this year for our team is to say, lead from where you are. I don't mind what level you're at, and I don't mind what your responsibilities are. You have an opportunity. I remember somebody saying to me early on that um, their success was driven by their leadership of the grey areas, uh, by, by being someone who stepped in every time there was an absence of a leader. And you can remember stepping in through, as you grew up, you were exactly. invariably stepping in. Exactly. I think if you're a leader, you've been leading 
all the way. Sports teams, there's, there's groups, no, yeah, organisations. And, yeah, and it's not, yeah, exactly. It might be the sports team, but it might even just be, you know, a group of people in a room trying to get something done and somebody needs to say, well, here's a way forward. And I think that happens at every level in an organisation. And I think if you want to be a leader, you don't wait for somebody to come and bring you a title and say, now it's your job. That's too late. You need to have been practising for years and years and years and refining and, 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 and improving and continuing to improve. Okay, so working on the basis that you've been practising for some time, <laughs> yeah. what do you wish you, you'd known then that you know now? Oh, gosh. I mean, so many things. Um, what do I wish I'd known then that I, that I know now? I mean, the stuff we talked about early on, right? Like, you're not in competition with the people in the room with you. There is no... Uh, like, genuinely, that idea that my success is completely dependent on making everyone around me a success. It took me a while to get my head around that. That's, 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 that's a well-respected leadership concept, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't think it's natural to people, right? When you've come through school and everything is about, like, can I win this particular award? Or can I win that place at university? Everything's about, like, I have to beat other people in order to be successful. My experience of the working world has not been that. My experience of the working world is, if you want to be given more responsibility, then you have to show you can care for more people. You have to show that people's careers are safe in your hands and that you will make them the best they can be. That's totally different if you think about it to what that whole you know, um, education experience trains our, our new graduates for. And we have to get them to kind of shift their mindsets on that. Also, the idea that, oh, I've got to get there first, right? We often do this, who's the youngest to get this position? Who was the first to get this position? As though, that, as though being the first will make you the best. Actually, sometimes, some of the greatest learnings in my, in my career have been when I've not been moving upwards so fast, but really rounding out what I'm capable of at a level. You know, the disappointments have taught me far more than the achievements ever will. Okay, outline some of those disappointments. Oh, my gosh. This disappointment. I tell you what, I remember um, there was this time when I was working in one part of this organisation and I was, I was, I don't mind saying, I was good at what I did. I was a specialist in what I did and I was an expert. And I, and, and I was, the story of my early career is that I was frustrated with my current leadership at that time. And felt as though I understood more about what needed to be done than they did. I mean, this is... Is that, I, that, is that, is that chip <laughs> on the shoulder thing again, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not alone in this, right? But I remember being taken to one side, like, thinking, like, gosh, I'm the hero of this story. And, you know, I'm, I, I, and everybody else gets in my way. And I remember being taken to one side and being told in no uncertain terms that actually I was getting in the way of the team. And I was actually... Yes, yes, my skills were great, and yes, my skills were valuable, but actually, some total of my effect on that team wasn't positive in the way I thought it was. And I remember being horrified by that. You know, as someone who prides myself at being good at what I do, and, and on being a, a positive contribution to whatever we're trying to do, you know, I, I, was, I was shocked, outraged, uh, and it took me a while to get my head around it. But then I realised that, like, being easy to work with is one of the key skills you've got to have. Right. right. No amount of expertise makes up for the idea that people should want to work with you. You don't get to be a leader if nobody wants to follow you, you see. That's the challenge. At some point in the last 21 podcasts I've done on this yeah. 
every individual has said a version of leadership teaches you so much about yourself. Yeah. What's it taught you about yourself? It, te- it does teach you so much about yourself. And I think the thing that is really important as a leader is consistency. People need to know who you are and you need to always be that person. And so you start to get more of a sense of, of who you are as a person and what really matters to you. There's a lot of repetition in leadership, actually. And so you'd better be being true to yourself and always consistent and coherent in, in what you're saying. Um, is that authenticity thing, is it? it? Authenticity, but it sound, that sounds kind of trite. Um, you know, or it sounds like something that's easy for us to say. But I find myself in a hundred different situations in any given week, month, whatever. And my go-to answer has to always be the same answer. And the only way my go-to answer can always be the same is is if it's absolutely true for me. Like, I don't have to go and check my lines. It's just true, right? And so as a leader, you're trying to build a career where the product you're selling, you know, the organisation you're running, the beliefs you hold, everything has to be coherent. Because otherwise, the energy cost for you as a leader is just too huge. You can't keep on top of it. So the reason my job is actually really easy is because I can talk to you about growing up and I can talk to you about lending and I can talk to you about inclusion or any topic you want. All of them come from the same place, which is all about doing the right thing. It's about transparency. It's about opportunity. All of those things. So I think what it's taught me about myself as a leader is like the leader you are is the person you are. And it's the only way for it to be sustainable uh, as a role. Okay. So, if I was to ask you for one single piece of advice to pass on to the students, perhaps graduating from Nottingham Business School this year, what yeah. might that be? I always, I always, uh, when asked this question, I always use this same example, which is, um, there's this column that I read for years and years. Um, which is uh, called This Column Will Change Your Life. It's in The Guardian by Oliver Berkman. And he brings in philosophy and a variety of different things. And the one that sticks with me and the one that I say to everybody is, um, he wrote this column, and the whole quote that I use from him is, the ability to tolerate minor discomfort is a superpower. And that's the thing. The ability to tolerate... Minor discomfort is a superpower. Right. If you can get through that next thing that makes you uncomfortable, then the personal growth available to you is huge. Now, whether that thing is, I don't know, speaking in public, or whether it is uh, learning that bit of maths that means you'll understand that financial statement better, or whether it is uh, going up to talk to somebody at a, an event, but the ability to say, I can survive this thing, this awkwardness, this strange moment, and on the other side of it, I'll be better. Like, that's what, that's all career development is from day one. And I wish I'd started that sooner. The minute that you start to say, this discomfort's a good thing, actually, and I'm going to do more of it. So is that a version of push yourself? It's not just push yourself. It's about actually relishing the uh, uncomfortable opportunities. The moments where you go, I don't really like this. I'm being asked a question and I'm not, I'm not sure my answer's very good. Um, those are the moments where you, really, where you really develop. And when you look back at how far you've come, it's 
always going to amaze you if you live your life through a series of minor discomforts. Great stuff. Lucy Marie Higgs, thank you very much for joining us on the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. My pleasure, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with prison governor, Professor Lynn Saunders, radio programmer, Dick Stone, and the banker, Dr. Heather Melville. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins.